Well, Matthew chapter 8, if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 8. A little nervous when Brother John started preaching on uh, showing love by action, because that's kind of some of the premise of my message, but I believe that's the Holy Spirit's leading that allowed us to both uh, have the speaking on the same thing. But Matthew chapter 8, we're just going to read a few verses to get started this evening, and we'll dive into the message. Matthew chapter 8, we're going to start in verse number 28. Verse number 28, and it says, And when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, talking about Jesus Christ, there met him two possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? And there was a good way off from them, and heard of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, Go, and when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea, and perished in the waters. And they that kept them fled, and went their ways into the city, and told everything, and what was befallen to the possessed of the devils. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they besought him that they would depart out of their coast. Before we go any further, let's bow our heads and ask the Lord for his help in leading this evening. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for the wonderful service we've had so far. Lord, I thank you for the great singing, the great special music, and Lord, just the time of prayer we had before. Lord, you know that really helped calm my spirit and calm my nerves. Lord, I pray you continue to do so. I pray you'd fill me with clarity of heart, clarity of mind, and clarity of speech. Lord, I pray you'd move me out of the way and speak through me with your Holy Spirit. Because Lord, if your Holy Spirit's not in this message, I'm just a mumbling pile of dirt. Pray to be this message now. I pray they'd touch the hearts of those at Temple Baptist here in Statesville. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so after reading this passage, I know what a lot of y'all are probably thinking. Oh, it's just going to be another message on Christ casting out devils and how we can enable people in the name of Christ to go to other lands and give the gospel to people. No, 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 no. If there's anything, you've had Brother James preach here before. You know my pastor very well. He is very unpredictable in the passage he preaches out of. And that is one thing I've learned from him is you don't know what you're, you know, you can find different tendencies and different spins from different passages. And that's what I want to do tonight. I don't want to look at the, the, the possessed in this passage. I don't want to necessarily even look at the story of Christ casting out the devils. I want to look a little bit closer at a few things that I, that I, that I gleaned from the devils in this story. I want to look a, bit, a little bit closer at the devils in this passage. I want to see if there's some things that we can learn from there. And you may be thinking, well, Brother Jensen, where in the, what in the world does this have to do with missions conference? Bear with me, I'm going somewhere. Just bear with me for a little bit. But I want to look at three specific things that I noticed from studying through this passage that we can learn from the devils in this passage. The point number one, in, in verse number 29, the devils recognize Christ's power. The devils recognize the power of Christ. At verse number 29, once again, And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? The devils in this passage, although they did not respect him how they should have, the devils in this passage have a knowledge of who it is they are speaking to. The devils in this passage know who it is that they're talking to, who it has, who has approached them. They know who Christ is, and they recognize his power. Under this heading as well, in under recognizing his power, they also reveal Christ's deity. We could read in verse number 29 once again, when they address him, they say, Jesus, Son of God. They recognize Christ as God manifest in the flesh. They recognize the person they're talking to as God incarnate. Jesus Christ, the Almighty God, is speaking to them directly. And hitherto, they recognize 
Christ's power. But also, not only do they reveal His, His deity, but they also remember things that Christ has done. We could look at John chapter 1, verse number 1. We all know the verses, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Verse number 3, all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Not only do the devils realize that they're standing in front of God manifest in the flesh, not only do they realize they're standing in front of Jesus Christ, and that's who they're talking to, they're talking to the, to the, to the God who spoke them into existence. They are talking and engaging in conversation with their Creator. So that another reason why they would recognize Christ's power. They're talking to their Creator. But also under this heading, if we could look at Job chapter 1. You know what? Let's turn there. For, let's get some Scripture back on it. Job chapter 1. Not only do they remember that Christ is their Creator, but they also remember that Christ has the ultimate control. Christ has the ultimate control. In Job chapter 1 and verse number 12, it says, Satan himself appearing before the throne of the Lord. And it says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Hop over to chapter 2 and look at verse number 6. Satan appearing before God once again. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. Not only the devils in Matthew chapter 8, do they recognize Christ's power? Do they realize that He is God manifest in the flesh? Do they reveal that He is God? Not only do they remember that Christ is their Creator, but they remember that Christ also has the ultimate control. They, they remember Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2 and the person they're talking to in Matthew chapter 8 tells their boss what he can and can't do. The God, God sitting on His throne told Satan, you can touch Job's possessions and his family, but don't touch him. And in Job chapter 2, you can touch him, but save his life. The devils know they're talking to Jesus Christ, the one who spoke them into existence, but they're talking to the person who overrides their boss's authority. They're talking to the person who tells Satan what he can and can't do. They recognize Christ's power. Also, bouncing off the knowing Christ has the control and tells Satan what to do, turn to James chapter 2 if you would. James chapter 2. Now, I'm sure the passage we read at the beginning is still fresh in your mind. Now, I want you to think, in Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 through 32, was there any mention of the devils mentioning Satan? Did they mention Satan at all? Not at all. Look at James chapter 2 and verse number 19. James chapter 2 and verse number 19, Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Not only did the devils in Matthew chapter 8, point number 1, recognize Christ's power, but point number 2, they renounce their master. In Matthew chapter 8, there is not a single mention of Satan's authority, what Satan has given them commandment to do. They're going off of what Satan told them to do and possessing that and possessing those those ones that were possessed with devils, but Christ is here and there is nothing we can do that will override what our boss has told us to do. When, when Christ is on the scene, they cannot mention their master because they're speaking in the presence of their master's master. The one who spoke them into the universe. The one who created Satan. The one who created their boss. The devils realize that when Christ is on the scene, when Christ is there, all other authorities in their life no matter who gave it to them, are completely overwritten. Because the ultimate authority is speaking to them face to face. They renounce their master. They don't say, hey, we'll listen to what you have to say, but you know, our boss told us to do this. Well, we all know how Christ would have answered that. Well, yeah, why well, tell him what to do? So scram. 
They renounced their master because they realized Christ, the ultimate final say, the ultimate final authority is on the scene. And there is nothing they can say, there is nothing they can do that can override the power that rests within the Son of God. They recognize Christ's power. They renounce their master. And thirdly, you may be thinking, man, he's flying through. I haven't haven't even started preaching yet. This is just the groundwork. Turn to Revelation chapter 20 if you would, and I'll read to you a verse from Matthew as you head that way. Matthew chapter 25 is where I'll be reading. Matthew 25 and verse number 41. And it says, Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Revelation chapter 20, we're going to begin in verse number 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Skip down to verse number 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Not only the devils in Matthew chapter 8, not only do they recognize Christ's power, not only do they renounce their master, but they realize their destiny. They know what their future is. They know the person they're speaking to, they know what that person is going to do to them when time comes to a close. We just I read you the verse in Matthew 25, prepared for the devil and his angels. The devils in Matthew chapter 8 and 28 through 32 are already on the honored guest list to a burning literal hell. And we read in Revelation chapter 20, the final destination of hell itself is the lake of fire. And the devils realize this. They know the person they're speaking to is the Almighty God manifest in the flesh who created them, who tells their boss what he can do, and it one day is going to throw them into a burning hell and cast them into a lake of fire. They realize their destiny. They're the booked inmates. There's nothing they can do to change their destination. Their destiny is set. The moment they chose to rebel against God, their destiny was set when they chose to side with Satan and not Jesus Christ and not God. So the devils in this passage, they recognize His power. Flip back to Matthew 8 if you would. They recognize His power. They renounce their Master because Christ is on the scene. And they realize their destiny. Now you may be sitting here right now thinking, Brother Jensen, what in the world does this have to do with worldwide missions. Well, as I was reading this passage, preparing for this message, don't you love how you can read a passage multiple times? Now, I'm only 23 years old, so there's I haven't read the Bible as much as some of you in here, I'm sure. But don't you love when you read a passage over and over, and it's a passage you've read multiple times, and all of a sudden something new just jumps off the page at you? What a living book we have. You should read it sometime. It's great. Buy one off his table if you don't have a nice one. Get one from Brother John and read it. It doesn't just make a nice, it doesn't just make a nice leather smelling mantelpiece. It's a living book. It really is. But anyways, I was reading this passage. And if anyone in here have a red letter Bible? Anyone in here with a red letter Bible? Alright, so a few of you. And those of you who don't, just go with me on this. And I'm sure every, if, if you have someone next to you with a red letter Bible, they'll be more than, more than happy to share. But I want to read verse 32 once again. And I want you to notice, see if you notice something peculiar about this verse. And he said unto them, speaking, Jesus Christ speaking to the devils after they requested to go into the herd of swine. 
And he said unto them, Go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. What's the only red word in that entire verse? Go. The only red word in that entire verse is go. Okay? Still, what does this have to do with missions? Turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. In verse number 8, we all know these verses. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. I'll take it a step further. Mark 16, 15, the verse we all know is the wonderful Great Commission. What does it start with? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Isn't it interesting how the same two-letter commandment that was given to the devils in Matthew chapter 8, go, is the same commandment that's been given to us as New Testament Christians. Jesus Christ told told the devils to go. He's told us the same thing. Go. Now let me ask you a question. Which one's more obedient? We can look at it. The devil's in verse 32. And he said unto them, go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. Which one's more obedient? Let's take it a step further. Let's go back to the top and look at it with a little bit different spin. Point number one. If you're saved in here this evening, have you recognized God's power? Have you recognized God's power? Well, I'm saved. Yes, but do you see God for who He really is? Do you see Jesus Christ for who He actually is? He's not the long-haired white boy hippie that the Catholics portray Him as. He's not the one that will go sip a beer with you in the deer stand or go out on the boat with you on Sunday. That's not who Christ is. Do you truly recognize who Jesus Christ is? The devils realize this. They realize Christ was God. A lot of religions today haven't even gotten past that step. They're realizing that Christ is God. But we're not preaching on them tonight. What do the devils realize? They realize Christ is their creator. John 1.3, once again, all things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. Anything doesn't say everything except for humans. You are created. He is your creator. Do you see God as your creator? The one who breathed into your nostrils the breath of life. The one who gave you the soul, the one who gave you your body. Do you realize, do you recognize God as your creator? The devils did. And in turn, they recognized Christ's power. They saw Christ for who He really was. Also, the devils realized that Christ had full control. Do you realize that Christ wants full control of your life? Christ wants the control. He tells all the spiritual powers what they can and can't do. The only creature that He doesn't boss around or tell what to do is us. And I'll touch on this more in a second. But do you realize God, do you recognize God's power? Do you see God for who He really is? Do you recognize Him as as your Creator? I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We have something up on the devils. We're created in the image of God. Do we realize the power that our God, our Savior, our Creator, possesses. Secondly, turn to Matthew chapter 6. 
Have you renounced your former masters? Have you renounced your former masters? The devils didn't mention Satan at all because Christ was on the scene. He's the ultimate authority. We need to do what Christ tells us to do because there's nothing we can say that will override what Christ has told us to do. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 24. No man, there's no asterisk with fine print with your name at the bottom. No man, that means nobody, not a single person. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot, ye cannot serve God and mammon. Have you renounced your former master? Have you realized Christ's authority in your life? Have you placed Christ's authority in the same spot the devil's placed Christ's authority? At the top. One of the first sermons I ever preached, I was 14 or 15 years old, was titled, What is Your Mammon? It was out of this verse. And a lot of, a, a lot of times people equate mammon with money. Well, mammon can be anything that takes the place, takes, takes precedence over God in your heart. No man can serve two masters. If there's something in your heart this evening, something in your life that you're still holding onto from the previous life, you're serving two masters. And in scripture, what does it say? Who can succeed at that? No man. No man can serve two masters. Now imagine, before you were saved, you know, you, you had, you were in bondage. And I, I like to imagine sometimes a sin as just a ball and chain around our ankle. And we're just going through life, dragging it with us. Just trying to look for any way to get out of it. And finally, we hear of the gospel. We hear of Christ dying on the cross for our sins to save our souls. We receive conviction. We cry out to God, Lord, save me from my sin. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I repent. And we turn around and that chain, that ball and chain is just laying there and it's not attached to us at all. Hallelujah. Now what would be the logical follow-up to this scenario? Follow Christ. Follow Christ, right? That's what all of us did when we got saved, right? We just left that ball and chain there and just started following Christ. We didn't even think about that back there. We just, Jesus has removed all of that former authority that was, that had me in bondage. I'm just going to follow Him forever because He saved my soul. Sounds like an ideal situation, doesn't it? But how often are we as Christians so inclined to go back to that ball, go back to that chain, and, you know, just, well, I didn't really think it was that bad. I mean, I'll just, I'll just do it this once. You know, I, I never really saw anything wrong with it. I just didn't want to go to hell. Um... All my friends are doing it. I, I personally, I don't think, I don't think I see what's wrong with it. And you just, you take out a little hammer and chisel and hit off a little piece of that ball and put it in your pocket or maybe you just tie a little rope around it and you're going to tow it behind you and act like nothing's wrong. You're serving two masters. You will hate the one and love the other. What did we just read in Matthew 6.24? Either you will hate the one and love the other. If you're, if you're so in love with Christ, after He saved your soul and delivered you from all that, why would you be going back to that? Obviously, there's something back there that you still love. Obviously, there's something back there that you still deem necessary. Obviously, there's something back there that you think is better than Christ's atoning work on the cross. And every time I've seen it, in my young Christian life, I have seen it, any single person that has one foot in Christ and one foot in the world, ten times out of ten, I know how that scenario ends. 
They take a full cannonball out into the world and they become a laughing stock for Christianity. Look at that. That guy said he's saved. He drinks and cusses like a sailor just like we do. He never talks about Jesus. Boy, I never want to be saved. Look what that Jesus guy did for him. Have you renounced your former masters? Christ has cut the ties that bound us to sin. Why are we trying to go back to what we've been delivered from? You're not going to find anything back there. There's nothing back there that's going to, that's going to give you more joy, that's going to give you more peace. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Everything the world wants and everything the world could not give you is found in Christ. Why do you keep looking for it in the things God saved you from? Why do you keep looking for it in the old life? What caused you to call out from that old life? Not finding any of that. And then the person who can give you all of that saves your soul by just calling on Him and repenting of your sin. And how often are Christians so enthralled with going back to the old life? Because they haven't renounced their former masters. The devils did not even mention Satan once. Because when Christ was there, what He said was what they had to do. Well, Christ isn't here tonight. Are you saved? He's in here. Christ is right here. Do you want to listen to what He's telling you to do or do you want to drag Him back into the cesspool He saved you from? Have you renounced your former master? Turn to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. You cannot. Seems pretty definitive to me. There's no fine print. There's no, well, I think, or I read this book, or I did this, I did that. Go with what the Bible said. Christ gave us everything we needed to know in this book. So why are we looking elsewhere for the opinions of friends to justify what we're doing? If you need, to, if you need a friend to justify what you're doing because you can't find it in the Bible, odds are it's probably wrong. But look at John chapter 21 if you would. Verse number 15, So when they had dined after Jesus had risen from the dead, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he had said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. I'll put it this way, quite simply. The brother hinted at it earlier. You will obey what you love. You will obey what you love. Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of the hero of the faith, Jim Elliot, put it this way. It is Christ who is to be exalted, not our feelings. We will know him by obedience, not our emotions. Our love will be shown by obedience not by how good we feel about God at a given moment. Love means following the commandments of God. Do you love me? Jesus asked Peter. Feed my lambs. He was not asking how you feel about me. For love is not a feeling. He was asking for action. The Bible also says elsewhere in Scripture, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Showing love to Christ, the brother said it earlier, not just saying, I love you, Lord. Because you can do nothing throughout the week. You can let your Bible be a nice leather-smelling you know, placeholder in your house. It can be, and you brush the dust off of it on Sunday because we're going to church. 
I'm going to put on a smiling face. I'm going to walk in and show everyone around me how spiritual I am. And I'm going to stand up there in the front row. I'm going to sing out loud and I'm going to say, I love you, Lord. Now, you may be fooling everyone around you, but you're not fooling the one who you actually need to be serving. Because God's going to be up there just like, yeah, okay. He's saying He loves me. And look the way He lived the rest of the week. But if through your actions, if you invest yourself in serving God, doing whatever God asks you to do, following the commandments He's laid before us in Scripture, and you labor to serve Him the best you can throughout the week, and you show up on Sunday in the same attitude and you say, I love you, Lord. He's going to look down there and say, look at that. Someone actually loves me enough to do what I told them to do. Have you renounced your former master? Now, I can say, we, my wife and I, we've only been married for about ten and a half months. So we're, we, we say I love you to each other a lot. That's what newlyweds do. Now, if I tell her I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, but I treat her like a throw rug throughout the rest of the week, do you really think she's going to buy into that? No. But uh, how else do you show love to your spouse? You say I love you, but you act like you actually do. You treat her right. You do something special. You know, you go a little bit out of your way to show her that you care. And that way, that I love you, that I, that, that I say to her, will carry a little bit more weight because my love was shown by my actions. Can I tell you something tonight, ladies and gentlemen? God's the same way. We can say I love you and we can have all these emotional experiences, emotional decisions made at the altar and God's not going to buy into that if we don't follow through with it. Have you renounced your former master? You will obey what you love. Thirdly, quickly, as time is ticking away from me very fast, Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter number 21. Have you recognized God's power? Have you renounced your former masters? But thirdly, if you're paying attention to the first three points, you know where I'm going. Have you realized your destiny? Revelation 21. I'm going to leave the last two verses of Revelation 20, for context, the devil's destiny, as we read earlier, and death and hell were cast in a lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Verse number 1 of chapter 21, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw that holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And He said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Have you realized your destiny, our outcome, our future, as those of us as saved believers, when time has ticked away, after everything is said and done, our future, our destiny is so much better than the devils we read about in Matthew chapter 8. Our future is so much brighter. I know we hear it, the future is glowing bright. It really is if you're saved. We have an eternity in heaven with Christ, reigning and ruling with Him forever. And how often are the devils better examples of obedience than we are? How often are the devils in Matthew chapter 8 quicker at obeying the commands Christ has given us than we are obeying the commands that God told us to do? 
The devils obeyed him out of fear because they knew what was coming. They knew what their end was going to be. They didn't want, you know, an extent, they didn't want a, um, a moved up sentence. They don't want to be sent to hell a few thousand years early. They just, hey, alright, alright, what you say goes. They obeyed him out of fear. Now Christ could make us obey out of fear, but he doesn't do that. He's given us the opportunity to obey him out of love. He's done so much for us. We could, we could stay here all night listing everything that God has done for us. Not only as a, as a blanket, you know, salvation and ever, and all the, all the blessings that come with that, but even in our personal lives, you know, guiding us, giving us that Holy Spirit as a comforter, helping us through trials. I'm sure provision has been given to you by God when it seemed all hope was lost. He's done so much for us. Why don't we simply just obey what He's told us to do? He told the devils to go and they immediately obeyed. He's told us to go. And why are we not doing what He's told us to do? We have the opportunity to obey Him out of love. Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Not above and beyond. Not excessive. Not over the top. It's reasonable. Now, if someone tried to sell me this grand piano, and I don't know how much the church paid for it, you know, let's say just for sake of example, these things run around, you know, you know, two to three thousand dollars for a really nice grand piano. And I may be wrong, but you can correct me later. I'll probably just it'll in one ear out the other because I don't play a piano. <laughs> but if this was if it was a good price for a piano, what would you say? It's reasonable. It's the least I can do. It's a beautiful instrument. It's the least I can pay for a grand piano. Christ died on the cross for your sins. He washed your sins in His blood. He's given you eternal life with Him. And all He asks us to do is just do what He asks us to do. It's our reasonable service. It's the least we can do. Our time here is so short. So why do we want to be investing our time and our bodies into things that just are going to burn up one day? So let me ask you tonight, what is it in here that God is asking you to do? Where do you fit into the command, go? Maybe someone in here tonight is receiving the call to full-time ministry. Maybe God's dealing with one of the young people, or it could be one of the older folks as well. God calls everybody. God, call, God can call anybody. Is God calling you to surrender to the full-time ministry? God will do whatever you want me to do. Or maybe it's a little bit more local. Maybe God just wants you to witness to your neighbor or witness to your coworker. Maybe he wants you to give more to missions. Maybe he's maybe the go that he's telling you is to go farther in your faith promise this year. Are you going to listen to his command? Are you going to listen to what he's told you to do? God will never give you a command that he can't help you accomplish it. God will never give you something that you can't do because he's there to help you. He's always there to help you. Maybe God's just asking you to get more involved in the ministries of Temple Baptist Church. Get more involved in serving the Lord. Invest more time. Invest more money. Do whatever you can to get the gospel to Statesville, North Carolina. Or give more to your faith promise missions to get the gospel around the world. To get the, to get the gospel in hands of languages that only helicopters could reach. God's asking you to go. The list goes on. But for sake of time, let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. I'm closing very, very, very quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. There should be something in everyone's heart right now that God has asked you to do. 
where you fit into the command go. Now, are you going to let devils be more obedient than you? Or are you going to listen to what God told you to do and obey Him out of love because of what He's done for us? 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 and verse number 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If, ever, if any man's work abide, which he hath built, the, built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. When our lives come to a close and we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, our obedience will be tested. And what do we learn from our parents growing up? Partial obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is partial obedience. Look what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. Delayed obedience. Lot almost got burned up in Sodom and Gomorrah because he lingered. Our obedience will be tested. There's not a single person who's ever been saved in the world who's going to be standing at the judgment seat and you know some gold or silver precious stones are going to come out and they're going to go, I'm sure, God's sure glad He had me. Everyone in here is going to be wishing they had done more. But I wonder if some of us in here are going to be weeping before a pile of ashes and God's going to look over. Thanks for accepting my son. Thanks for the you know. Thanks for trusting me. But I had devils more obedient than you. Thanks for trusting my son. But the devils in Matthew chapter eight obeyed go quicker than you did. Now there's not a I I I don't care whatever my rewards are going to be one day. I want to hear God look down at me and I know there's nothing, there's nothing I will ever do to atone for what He's done for me. There's nothing I will ever do to say, yep, I'm happy with what I did. We'll always want to give more. But I so want to hear one day, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because when I heard go, I went. When God told me to do this, I did it. When I read a command that I was supposed to be doing, I fixed my life and do it. How about you? The obedience of the opposition. It's a lesson we all can learn. How quickly they obeyed. And how slow we often are to do the same. So if you're in here tonight, you're not being as obedient as you should be, which myself included in that message. None of us are ever as obedient as we should be to Christ's commands. Why don't you hit an old-fashioned altar tonight? Maybe God's dealing with you about the ministry. Maybe God's dealing with you about giving more in your faith promise and you're holding back because you're not sure if God will provide. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I think He can help you step up in your faith promise if that's what He's asking you to do. In just a few moments, I'm going to pray. The piano is going to begin to play and you'll have an opportunity to do business with God here tonight. And who are you going to let be more obedient? You? The save, Bible-believing Christian? living in 21st century America or the devils of Matthew chapter 8?